Blog Talk Radio. chatting with Sherry. Today we talked to John Arthur Long. He's a writer and a director of theater. And today we're going to talk about Dracula, A Transcendent Tale, which is a book form of a radio play. And he does all of the voices and everything. It's a really interesting read, and I hope you enjoy our little chat. Here's John. Hi, John. Welcome to the show. Hi, Sherry. I'm happy to be here. It's a nice sunny day in New York. I'm looking forward to talking to chatting with Sherry. I'm looking forward to talking with you, too, John. Um, it's, a, it's a bright and sunny day with a really pretty blue sky here. Yeah, it's nice here today. I understand the nor'easter is headed our way, so it may not be so nice tomorrow. So we're enjoying the day. Yeah, enjoy it while it lasts, right? Exactly. <laughs> In this atmosphere, we'll take any nice day we can get. Anything nice that you can get, that's nice. <laughs> it's been a really weird year, and it's gone so fast. It, it's been bad, but it's gone fast. It's weird. It is strange. You're right. There's something about the lockdown. Like, we were saying that, wait, it's Christmas. It's like the holidays already? It's, it's true, like, you know. But you would think it would drag, but it hasn't seem to be that that's not the case well there's been so much chaos that that's probably why right chaos and drama and all that stuff that whether you want to be or not you've been sucked into (laughs) right it keeps things moving that's correct right but hopefully please let us have a nice year next year (laughs) I feel 21's on the way. We're going to be good. We're going to be good in 21. I can feel it. I hope so. I really, really, really do. Um, I, 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 I could use a good year. I think everyone could use a good year. That's true. That's <laughs> Including true. the tire company. Everybody could use a good year, you know. Is there still a good year tire company? I thought they were gone. I don't know. I was just a little joke down. I know. I got it. I was... I thought they were gone. <laughs> I can't help myself. I know. It's like, I don't know if you ever watched the Britcom Miranda. She, if she gets a music clue, she just starts singing. Somebody says good morning. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> I like puns. I like turning a little turn of phrase, you know. We we actually we used a lot of them, not to transition into the book already, but we used a lot of those in the book because we really like using of puns to get humor. So. Yeah, I mean that's fun. I like puns. Puns are fun. Right. Um, I, I actually anything that's humorous is good. Well, that's what we thought when we were putting this whole 
book together, the, the whole Dracula concept, we said, all right, this is a very, very serious topic, and one that we feel very strongly about. You know, we, we want to make a statement about tolerance for everyone, you know? As a, as a matter of fact, I just want to, our, our new Supreme Court appointee, she, she was talking about the LGBTQIA plus organizations, and she said, well, you know, they do something because of a preference, and everyone is like, no, 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 don't use that term. It is not because of a preference. We're talking about sincerity and, you know, taking life choices because this is what people need and have to do, so please, have more understanding for it, you know, and that's, that's one of the things that motivated us. When we decided to do this book, The Dragula Transgender Tale, which we originally conceived as a musical, we said, okay, we understand that we're the public here, you know, we, we need to make some sort of a statement that shows we care about people in the LGBTQIA plus movement and we support them. So we said, now this is, this is a really tightrope walk here because we want it to be entertaining, we want it to be as entertaining as possible in terms of humor and music, but we also want that sincerity to carry through as much as possible about how you need to be tolerant of everyone. In, in this world, in this society, as we all know, you know, we've, we've come a short distance, but we have a long way to go. So we said, okay, we're going to put together a, a musical entertainment that makes that statement. So we had this little tightrope to walk of making it entertaining with a lot of humor and a lot of jokes, but yet having that sincerity. And someone said to me, so how did this come to become an audio book if it was a musical? And I said, well, we, we, we were going to do it in New York as a musical. In fact, we were in pre-production, and as you know, <laughs> there is no theater in New York right now because it all came to a halt because of COVID. So I was talking to the producer, and we had done two or three readings for sold-out audiences. They were very enthusiastic about it. And we had some of those recordings of the film and the audio from that. And I said, you know what? Let me take this over and do it as an audio book to sort of preserve it and keep it going. And then hopefully when theater opens again, we can come back. And it was actually a very good transition because doing it as a book allowed me to go, I, I originally did this with my friend Ted Castrinos and the two of us did it as a, as a musical, but it allowed me to really get into the character and the inner thoughts and the inner motivation. And, I, and I'm very, very glad that I was able to move into that direction because it gave it a whole new understanding and depth. We, we sensed the, the agony that, that the main character is going through and the difficulties trying to function within society yet be absolutely true to him or herself and, and uh, you know, to, to him and herself because she is in transition and dealing with it all. But the audiobook allowed us to do chapters where we could see that real inner thought process going on and uh, it's turned out to be a wonderful thing. Now, hopefully, 
theater will come back and we will be able to cast it with everyone from the LGBTQIA plus movement, with the people who did the Reader's Theater for us in New York. We had many, many of those people in it and they were very appreciative and very helpful and it was a wonderful experience. Okay, I've been going on and on, so go ahead and ask me a couple of questions. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's how to say a word. Um, no, I mean, it's an important issue and I think that it's a... And I think Mel Brooks said the best way to teach is through comedy. You know, we were talking the other day about Mel Brooks, and he probably would have had more trouble with those works in today's society because of the sensitivity. Mm -hmm. And we had that exact same problem. It's a delicate balance to work with. In other words, just... How far can you go with the humor and yet make sure that you're not in some way going too far? Uh, for example, like just very quickly, and I'm, I'm really kind of out on a limb here, but I know they did Tootsie on Broadway. And they were saying that they feel one of the reasons why it was a very, very entertaining show, but it was still a male taking a female's job away by impersonating a woman in being in drag. So in today's society now, Dustin Hoffman, they didn't have those kind of problems a few years ago, but now we've come alive here. We're awake to things. We're more aware of sensitivities. And uh, so when we were doing this, we said, okay, let's make sure that our humor, and we used a lot of different kinds of humor. We, had, we did a little Shakespeare humor. I'll just give you one quick example here to show you the kind of approach we took. The bad guy, or not not the bad guy, but the let's call him the antagonist, is the right Reverend Bobby Swagger. And Reverend Swagger believes that anything that is not normal, as he calls it, is sinful. So he becomes an opponent of Dragula, who runs a little drag club down in the village, and of course feels that it's sinful and has to has to be stopped. Well, he goes to a fortune teller to find out what he should do, and, you know, obviously we're off in Macbeth here, and instead of having the three witches and Hecate, we had the three bitches and Tailgate. <laughs> so you see what I'm saying, in terms of our humor, to make the whole thing work. And it, it, the, the fortune teller tells him that uh, nothing can harm him that wears a dress, and he says, see, I'm going to be okay, but he said, but you got to be careful until wood comes to you, and so we did a little... Macbeth take off there and we we actually used a lot of different shows at one point in the nightclub this this person who uh, was a policeman in New York is going to perform and he said well I'm just not sure that I can do this performance and that we do a little 42nd street you know you're going to go out there you're going to come back a star <laughs> so we used all kinds of transitions and Broadway shows and a lot of puns and we think we think we're pretty sure that we we took the right balance here, both sensitivity and humor and entertainment. It's funny because um, we were talking before uh, the show that really did happen to some people that you they they were an understudy or they were one of the other dancers or they uh, had a small part in the play and something happened and they had to go on for the lead and they actually did that it's it's I know it's a cliche but it did happen it is true um we were talking about a old movie called Trouble with Harry and Shirley MacLaine got her break she was in pajama game 
and the lead got sick and she did it for one night only, but Hitchcock's person was out there and she got hired for Trouble with Harry. So even well, though it's a cliche, it does happen. So your does. character is more realistic than you might have meant to make it. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of people said, okay, now, how?" one of the things they were saying about the audiobook, and we've gotten some very good press on it, was that it sounds so realistic. Like when they're in a the nightclub, it sounds like we're really in a nightclub. And they said, how did you how did you put that all together? And I have to thank the director. I want to make sure I mention him, uh, Roy Yokelson of Antland Productions. He was able to take the videos where we had done the performances in New York for Broadway, not Broadway, but off-Broadway audiences, and he took the audio and inserted that audio under my narration so that when you're in a nightclub, all of the reactions and all of the responses are real and alive, and it gives the whole, and he also did the same thing with the music. He took a lot of the musical numbers that were performed in the theater and put them into the narration so that it's not just, you know, John Long narrating, but it's also people singing and dancing and performing, as well as the intimate, you know, emotional, dramatic scenes. So he did a very good job of interlacing all of those. I want to make sure I give him credit for that. That's great. Yeah, it's really hard to get everything right, especially the editing process. So, and right. you should give a lot of kudos to somebody like that. And I got a lot of people, in other words, a lot of people say, well, wait a minute, you played everybody? And I said, well, that's kind of the way an audio book is, you know, you have to perform all the different characters. But a lot of the things for the music, we actually went into the studio and did some recording in recording studios of the music with, with the musicians. We had a, a wonderful a musical arranger named Rich Iacona. I want to make sure I give Rich credit here because uh, Ted Castrinos and I, when we originally came up with some of the songs, we went to Rich and he just really brought all the music to life and made arrangements that uh, when you listen to the music in the audiobook, you can tell that a, a real professional kind of put all these things together. He took our simple little melodies, Ted Castrinos' son, George Castrinos, also did a couple of the melodies for us, and he made them into real music. And then, you know, a lot of the actors from the LGBTQIA movement performed them, and it, it just, the whole thing came to life. And so being able to take all of that and add it to my narration in the audiobook gives it a, a really nice life and a nice, exciting feeling to it. So, okay, the concept of it was originally for a, a musical play. Um, right. Have you written other plays? Uh, yeah, I've kind of been uh, in theater, both writing and performing, most of my life. So uh, I've also been an educator and a teacher. I've been a very, very lucky because uh, I had early published novels and was able to both be a teacher and, you know, teach theater and direct shows in community theater and also... Uh, be a writer and have nice success as a as a writer. Uh, we did a children's musical a few years ago called uh, The Tooth Fairy Legend, The Touch of Kindness, and uh, it did very well. In fact, Liz Smith gave us a really nice comment uh, a few years ago in her column when it premiered. And 
it has become a perennial bestseller for us because it's the tooth fairy. <laughs> I mean, every kid loses teeth. So we, we just last two years ago, we put that audio book together with the music and the performances and everything, and it's done very well. So, yeah, we have a few other goodies out there for people to listen to. Um, and so what is it called the Tooth Fairy? What, what's the exact name of it? Yeah, it's called the Tooth Fairy, the Touch of Kindness. And it's all about children being kind to each other within society. Just a little quick concept of the Tooth Fairy. When children give their teeth, the Tooth Fairy takes them back across the sky to the Isle of Kindness, where kindness is extracted from the teeth they give and sent back down to Earth so that there can be more kindness spread around the world. So that's the, 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 the basic concept of the story. That's so sweet. So it gives children a nice feeling when they lose their teeth and leave them for the tooth fairy that they're really helping to spread kindness to everybody. That's really, really sweet. Um, and you said you're a teacher. Um, what did you teach? Uh, English. English teacher for high school English for many, many years as well as the, uh, the musical and drama director. So I, I did a lot of high school shows, you know, as well as professional. So I've had some really nice, wonderful experiences, actually. It's been very good. Uh, Ted Castrinos and I were two directors. At, he ran a theater here in New York also, and so we did several shows. And then he helped write the Dracula show with me. And then um, I had a former student, Kirk Gaskowski, who has a theater in New York called the Chain Theater, and Kirk was able to help put all of the Dragulas together with the readings. I've been very fortunate with this kind of, uh, you know, pay it forward with student-teacher relationships. Roy Yokelson, the engineer of the audiobook, has become a very good engineer in New York, and years and years ago, I won't say how many, Roy, uh, he was also... <laughs> He was my student in the, in the theater program, and now he's become this very high technical engineer in New York. He's got some Emmys and did Woody Allen movies and all. And when I went to him, he said, John, of course, you want to do an audio book? Come on down. He said, this would be a nice transition because you were my teacher, and now I'm your teacher. <laughs> and he's a good student, right? I said, absolutely, absolutely. You tell me everything that I need to do, and I'll do it. And he does. He's very straight. You know, he says, wait a minute, wait a minute. I don't like the way this character is talking now. So he's become the director and I'm the student whenever we're in the, whenever we're in the studio. I bet that I, was kind of sweet for him to get to do that. Very nice transition, right. Um, and he gets a big... And, and did you just call him out of the blue? Yeah, actually, uh, I knew he was an engineer and... My daughter is an opera singer, and a few years ago she was putting a test, uh, you know, a, a few demonstration opera songs together, and so I said, you know, I, I, let me call Roy, I haven't talked to him in a few years, and I called him, and he said, of course I'll record your daughter, so we took her into the studio, and she recorded a lot of songs, and then we sort of got to know each other, and we started meeting and chatting and everything, and uh, he said, okay, let's do an audio book, John, and we did. And the first one was called The Mean, which was my book about education, a fictional book about education. And that was the first audio book I did with Roy, and that became 
very successful. We, we got a couple of awards and it went pretty well. So he said, okay, we're off to a good thing here. And then we did the Tooth Fairy and now we did the, the Dragula Transgender Tale. So we're, we're doing okay with, with our audiobooks. Do you? We've been nominated Dragula for a couple of things. It's coming up December 6th, the, the Voice Arts Awards. And uh, we've gotten two or three nominations for Best Narration and the Best Audiobook. So we'll see what happens. Are you an audiobook listener yourself? Yes, I love them. I, you know, it just, as a matter of fact, I am right now listening to Barack. <laughs> I just got his, and I'm finding it to be fascinating to listen to his, to his trans, this is his, his first book, you know, the, the Obama presidency, and he's explaining about how he got involved and all of his transitions and everything, and I'm loving it. I'm enjoying it very much. Did he narrate he it himself? A, yes. Wow. He has a wonderful sincerity. And I was saying to Roy, he does a very good job as an audiobook narrator. You know, he does little voices of different characters. I was like, Barack, good job. You know, he's, he does it very well. How does he sound as well, Michelle? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't want to do a competitive thing here, but uh, Barack sounds pretty good. No, Michelle, I listen to Michelle's also, and she did a good job also. That's funny, though. I just I can't imagine that deep voice doing his wife. Um. <laughs> he doesn't imitate her, but he imitates says, some people. His father, he does a, a good imitation of his father, and he does a few other voices talking about his kids. What I love about it, I'll just do one quick political thing here. You can sense his sincerity. You can, you can feel it coming out of the audio book that he really cares, and he has always cared. And you, you can you can you can just pick up on his sincerity as he talks about the whole transition and what went on and what he thinks about politics and what happens. It's very good. Yeah, that's on my book list. His book, I haven't gotten it yet, but so ah, don't tell anybody. Um, <laughs> but I do intend to read it <laughs> as soon as I can. But right. but it's like um, I got so many books. I need to get through some of the ones I'm reading. Um, <laughs> what do you find um, that it's it's different acting on stage and acting uh, as a voice off, uh, actor? Do oh, that's a good question. That's a very good question because you've hit upon a a core ingredient of my director-editor Roy Yokelson's criticisms. <laughs> uh, you know, I grew up uh, as a stage performer, mm -hmm. so like, you know, diaphragmatic breathing and, you know, being able to project and, and emote the character on stage and, and fill the entire auditorium, and he is constantly stopping the recording and saying, John, <laughs> we are not on the stage here. Yeah, there's nobody uh, in the 5th, 10th, 20th row, you know, you don't need to project. <laughs> As a matter of fact, a few years ago, just a quick little sidelight here, just speaking of diaphragmatic breathing, uh, I had gone to a doctor for physical, and he said, I, I, think, you, I think you've had a, a silent heart attack. And I said, what? I said, well, no, that's, that's, I have not. I don't, I don't, it's not possible. And he said, yes, I think we have to do some x-rays here and see what happened. And so he actually took me to the hospital. I had angiogram, the whole thing, and he said, I can't find anything. And then he said, do you know what it is? He said, you're not going to believe this. When I went back to his office, he said, it's, 
your diaphragm is so developed. He said, well, you, do you speak? Are you a voice person? And I said, well, yes, you know, I've been an actor and a performer. And he said, you have one of the largest developed diaphragms. He said it actually cast a shadow and it made it look like there was a darkness on your heart. So he said, no wonder you're able to project into the theater. <laughs> Just a very strange Wow. <laughs> That's almost scary. <laughs> Roy has had to calm me down, and, uh, you know, he said, I'm turning this dial all the way down, John, so stop being quite so dramatic in there. So, yes, there is a big difference between the two, you know, like a lot of the voiceover people will tell you that, uh, you know, acting on the stage and in that studio is a whole different experience. That's one of the things, um, I, have a, I have a little playhouse, that's a radio theater playhouse, and I, most of the people are stage actors, that uh, work with me, and they're all saying the same thing. It's like it's like a whole different muscle that, as an actor, that you don't get to use. Uh, um, do you feel that uh, when you switch back and forth, you are like um, you're developing both muscles? I am trying to. I still become overly dramatic in the studio during the really dramatic scenes. And we have to redo them a few times, you know. It's, uh, those are old habits; they're hard to break, you know. But he said, as a matter of fact, he said the younger people who come into the studio, he doesn't have that problem with because they have always had microphones, so they've not the the younger younger actors. I'm, I may get in trouble here with some of the younger actors, but they haven't had to develop that real projection quality, you know, the uh, the Olivier and the Richard Burton kind of projection things that had to be done when there were no microphones. I heard a really interesting interview with Ian McKellen and Judy Dench both together. They were, I think they were talking about a movie they'd just done, but they were asking about the difference between theater now and theater then. And, she, and Judy goes, I hate mics. I just hate it. I don't, it takes away from the development of the character. And Ian was agreeing with her. Do you agree with that? <laughs> I've actually been able to get past that in the studio and, and I you know I just kind of I that's one of the reasons why he has to calm me down because I, I try to just forget that it's a microphone there and just perform no I'm not on the stage I'm not sure about the stage I don't no I, I don't well I, I guess if they have body mics you know, it, it might interfere, but they're so small that no, I don't, I don't find that to be the case. I think you can kind of ignore it and, and move on. Actually, now I don't know if you, I'm sure you're aware of this. They actually have headphones, also little earplugs, and some of them are being fed lines huh? off stage. Oh my God, that's actually kind of I terrible. That is not right. <laughs> I won't say which actor used that on Broadway, but. Uh, <laughs> they did have one of the oldest actors. They were feeding him lines through uh, through an earpiece to keep him moving. Oh my God! No, that's so just, it is, that, that goes against the theater. Um, <laughs> I don't like that. You know, we're in a tech world now. It's all okay. <laughs> I know, but I, uh, I maybe I'm old, oh, I, but I just I I think that's one of the beauties of the stage. I mean, there's always been a prompt, you know, prompt books and stuff like that, but to feed every line somebody, it's just... 
<laughs> I don't think it happens. I don't think it happens a lot. <laughs> you know, it's like it's like a television uh, or tele television or motion pictures where usually televisions where you can see the person reading the prompting lines. I, I drive my wife crazy because I, I, I can always tell they do this infamous little trick of looking away as if they're in thought but if you watch their eyes and the little dilations of their eyes you can tell that they're reading the cue card when they look away in thought for a moment and every so often like I just can't help myself I stop and I say now you see that she just read the cue card and my wife says will you please just watch, watch the, the show <laughs> <laughs> She said, I don't care. Don't tell me. Let me enjoy this. I know. Um, my ex-boyfriend used to say, did you see the boom mic shadow? And I'm like, no, and I don't want to know. You're breaking my... You know, you you're when you're in a movie, when you're watching a movie and you're into it, you don't want to get all that other stuff. <laughs> I know. She, when we go to the theater, she, she absolutely won't let me even talk because I'll say, did you see how they did that blocking? He actually moved in front of me. She says, John, don't talk about that. Just sit back and enjoy the show, all right? So I've learned to be good and just like, keep my mouth shut and listen and watch. Maybe you should buy three seats so she can sit one seat over so she won't be disturbed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if only we could sit in seats now. Yeah. We are missing. Terribly, I know. New York. This is this is performance land. This is this is the whole excitement of New York, and you know, it's it's very difficult. Hopefully, it'll all be solved in a few months, and we'll all be back again. I'm kind of. Um, I have a, a acquaintance who's uh, Australian. And he's on stage right now. I'm sort of envious of that. <laughs> oh, really? They're performing there. Yeah. That's nice. That's very good. Yeah, I That's think one of the few places. You know, England is shut down, like the theater capital. It's just unbelievable. I know. And I feel so bad for all of these many, 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 many people in entertainment, the musicians. It's just, you know, we, we're constantly doing campaigns to help get raised funds for everybody in the dramatic guild. And it's, it's just a very difficult time right now. But let's not get off into that whole kind of depression thing here. Yeah, there there's a lot of stuff that's happening. Um there's um there's a bunch of people that are trying to raise money for them. Um Right. Th there there's one that's here. There's one where you are in New York. There's one in England. Right. Uh I know cuz I heard Judy Dench talking about it. Um there's uh there, there's one in Australia. And there's one in New Zealand. Um, different places are very actively uh, trying to raise money. It's, and um, I have a friend who's a cellist, and she said that there's another one for the musicians. Because she explained to me, you know, musicians, they have to play. If you're not playing, you're not making money. So it doesn't matter if it, you, you, it's really difficult to play from your home. You have to, she goes, you can use Zoom and stuff like that, but you don't get the full music. Right, right. And there's an, there's an interrelationship that just doesn't exist in a technological world that, you know, my, my daughter, for example, uh, teaches vocal music and opera at Butler University in Indianapolis, and they have to set up separate rooms where the accompanist is in one room 
she's in her studio and the opera singer's in another room and it's all like sequential technical setting up so that they can actually function as a musical organization that's fine for individual vocalists but the orchestras and the choruses you know it's just been very difficult for all of those performing and the small independent performers i know many singers and guitar players and you know open mic people they just have not been able to perform so hopefully they will it will all end soon and we will all be performing and singing and dancing and entertaining once again yeah know? but in time people can listen to audiobooks <laughs> <laughs> Well, I don't know. I mean, some of them, are, some people are very creative. There's um, there's a group that's called Stream Shakespeare that does full Shakespearean plays via Zoom. And as they've gone through it, they've gotten better and better. Very good. We just at the Chain Theater, we just did a Halloween uh, Edgar Allan Poe thing. And everybody did little performances of the characters. Uh, you know, quote the Raven, nevermore. But they set it up as a Zoom, and they they both all performed it in various locations, and it worked very well. So you know that that is working, and it, it can be done. It's just we 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 have to adapt, I guess. That's what the thing is. <laughs> right. But there's nothing like live. Ah, uh, you know that. That's, that's what I was saying. There's uh, two or three actors I have, in, some in Sydney and some that are friends. Some in Sydney, some in Australia, in Australia, in Adelaide, Adelaide. I can't say names. Adelaide, 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 Adelaide. Uh, that uh, they're doing plays live on stage. Isn't that cool? <laughs> right. That audience response. Yeah. Just That's one of the things we learned. I don't mean to keep coming back to the book, but one of the things we learned by putting it in front of an audience with the reader's theater performances, we saw what worked and what doesn't work because, and I'm constantly amazed by this, no matter how much experience you have, you don't really know until you get that audience response. And suddenly you see, oh, this really, that's why they always had, you know, things outside of New York and performances in little independent theaters to prepare for real performance in the professional stage because you just, that, that interaction between audience and the performer, that, that little relationship, it, it tells you so much and helps the whole creative process. So it's really a vital ingredient to the entire performance, musical, dance, you know, reading, acting, performance thing. Yeah, I agree. Uh, we actually, perfect timing, we've actually come to the part where you get to um, tell people how to get the book, um, and if you have any virtual events coming up. Okay, the book is available wherever audiobooks are sold. <laughs> I bet it you've been wanting to say that. <laughs> Amazon, audible.com, and, um, and actually it's because it was produced by Blackstone Audio, who they are an international company, it is virtually everywhere. And uh, we have uh, websites, uh, regulatransgendertale.com, or they can go to johnarkalong.com, or there's a Facebook page, or Instagram, or Twitter. We, uh, we are very, very strong on social media. So I hope people will take the opportunity to listen to it, and I hope that they will hear the message 
that we need to be tolerant to all people of all walks of life and all professions and all beings. That's how our society should be functioning, and that's the message. That's a beautiful message. And um, do you have any virtual events that are coming up? No, not right now, because we're kind of on hold, you know, because of COVID. The one thing we do have is the Voice Arts Awards, which is going to be virtual this year, December the 6th, in the evening. And uh, we have, I think it's uh, three or four nominations there. So that'll be a nice virtual event for us. I think I, I was nominated for Best Narrator Author and uh, Best Fiction and Roy Yokelson of Antland was nominated for Best Production and Best Sound Design for an audiobook. So we're kind of excited about that. That's coming up in a couple of weeks. Great. Um, actually, what I, that's what I meant, like voice virtual stuff. I mean, I know you can't go to any events, but is there any other interviews coming up or anything like that? Uh, yeah, I have another interview in a couple of weeks. Uh, I don't have the list right here, but uh, it's, it's going, and I have, I have Sherry Rosen to thank, Sherry Rosen's publicity. Let's make sure we get that in the air. <laughs> she has been very, very good. My publicist, as you know, Sherry, uh, she is one of, she was nominated as one of the top publicists in New York State, so I am very pleased with her. She's a wonderful, sincere, heartfelt, working person, and uh, I'm very happy with Sherry Rosen, who has been my publicist for the last couple of books. Yeah, Sherry's great. I love her. Um, okay, so uh, now you need to give your website and your social media so people can see your stuff and also say hi if they can. Okay. Dragula, a transgender tale dot com, John dot com, uh, dot com or it is also on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. And all of them, you can use John Arthur Long or Dragula Transgender Tailing. It'll come right up and show you all kinds of information. And I also have six different videos on YouTube explaining the importance of the tolerance and what the message was and why we did the particular audiobook for the LGBTQIA plus movement. So it's all out there, and people can reach it and have an experience that I hope will be uh, not only entertaining, but heartfelt. Absolutely. Um, do you have any social media that, like uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, any of those? Yeah, all of the above. It's all there, just my name or the Dragula transgender tale, and they will all come up. Okay. Well, I want to thank you for coming on the show. I hope you enjoyed it. I totally enjoyed it. We had good chats with Sherry. I, I enjoyed <laughs> it very much. Thank you for all of your fun comments and for your helping me to deliver it and give the message out to an audience. I really appreciate it. You. And you're a wonderful person to talk to. I like our chats. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, thank you for coming on. Um, and thank you for chatting with Sherry. Thank you.